wellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to A Quirky Journey, the healthy family podcast with your hosts, Joe Witten and Fuad Kassab. Hi, everyone. I'm Joe, your podcast host, and I don't have my co-host with me, Fuad Kassab, for this intro, but he is on the podcast. Uh, we've just finished two very busy days of seminars in Brisbane with about 600 people, and it went really, really well. And Fuad's hopped on a plane to fly back to Sydney, and um, we didn't get our intro done for the podcast, so I'm doing it by myself. <laughs> but we just want to say a big thank you to all of you who came to our seminars in Brisbane. We had an awesome time. It was so much fun, and we've already had some beautiful feedback from lots of you and lots of photos on Instagram and in the Quirky Cooking chat group and sounds like everyone really enjoyed themselves. Fuad kept us laughing. Um, we had a lot of <laughs> a lot of jokes and um, good fun, which really helps to, you know, just lighten everything up because it's, you know, it's a lot of things to think about at our seminars. It's three hours of lots of information. Um, but Everybody's feedback was that it was very easy to understand, very doable, and just um, everything was explained in just such a simple way, in such a, um, a way that just makes sense, just common sense, whole foods, getting back to foods that our ancestors and families have eaten for thousands of years, um, thinking about the way our bodies are designed to eat and eating that way and not stressing out over it all, but just enjoying our food. And we just had a wonderful time. So thank you so much to all who came and especially to all our beautiful helpers and our quirky team, Sarah and Laura, who just worked so hard. They probably worked like 12-hour days, um, three days in a row. So they're off home to Perth for a well-deserved rest um, I've got another day in Brisbane and another couple of days actually. Um, today I'm going to go hang out with my brother and do some work on my um, talk for tomorrow. So tomorrow I'll be speaking at the Wellness Base Camp here in Brisbane. They may still have a couple of tickets left. So if you're interested in coming, get online and look up Wellness Base Camp Brisbane um, because it's a full day of really awesome seminars and talks from health professionals and health speakers from around Australia. There's Cindy O'Meara, our favorite. Um, we've got Marcus Pierce. There's Jules Galloway, who we love. Um, myself. There's a bunch of others, Kim Morrison, um, Brett Hill. So we're going to have a lot of fun tomorrow. There's also a expo on. So that's down, um, in Brisbane. I think it's Fortitude Valley. It's Mira, M-I-R-A. Anyway, just have a look. Wellness Base Camp Brisbane. If you're interested in coming, and um, we hope to see you there. And then after tomorrow, I've got half a day in Brisbane with my brother and then I'm flying home on Sunday afternoon. So it's been great to be in Brisbane. We've had such a nice time and everybody's been so friendly and lovely. So thank you. Today's podcast is with Kale Brock, another good friend of ours, and um, we always have a lot of fun with Kale. Some of you may have seen his latest, um, his his documentary, The Gut Movie, unbelievable. If you haven't seen it, you need to go watch it. But listen to this podcast and it'll whet your appetite and you'll be dashing off madly to find a, a place where you can go see it. Um, for those of you who are wondering about DVDs of the movie, you can only buy them at screenings so far, but eventually they will be up online. 
So this movie um, is all about gut health but in a sort of a story of um, how Kale learnt more about gut health by visiting the um, some people in Namibia in um, Africa. So have a listen. You'll really enjoy it. We have a really good chat and it's a lot of fun. And we hope to see you all at seminars this year. We hope to hear from you. If you've been to a seminar, let us know what you thought. If you've got any feedback, feel free to email us at help at quirkycooking.com.au because that's what we're here for. We want to help you out with your health journey. Um, listen to our podcasts. Find some um, chat groups to get into and ask questions. We've got the Quirky Cooking chat group. We've got the Quirky Gaps group. We have our online gut health program for those of you who want to do gaps and need help with that. That And that has a support group with a gaps practitioner who answers the medical type questions. Um, and we answer all the food questions and help you with your cooking. Um, there's videos and there's cooking videos and ebooks and all that kind of thing to help you with your um, healing. And we also have... Um, a lot of help online on the blog and we'll be getting some new recipes up really soon so that's exciting Um, and also I just want to mention if you haven't seen our online shop on quirky cooking we have our our quirky and loving it aprons which are organic fair trade 100% cotton raise money for good cause so if you want to have a look at those there's a few left and we'll be ordering more soon And we have the Solid Technics pans in the shop, which we love, and you can have a 10% discount with those. Um, And just go and have a look at that, and we will be in touch in the newsletters. So keep an eye out on um, in your newsletters for any upcoming quirky cooking, life-changing food events um, because we'd love to see you and we'd love to meet you guys. All right, have a great weekend. Bye. Everybody, I've got two special guests today on the podcast. My actual <laughs> host, who hasn't been here for like three years. Oh, <laughs> hi and, everyone! And the incredible Kale Brock, who's been healing the country's gut, going all around. Yay, Kale! Guts everywhere. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me back on, guys. <laughs> Good to hear you. Mate, well, tell us, you've been doing some incredible stuff around the country. We've been following all the stuff that you're doing with your great... Sold um, out theatres everywhere. Everywhere. And Crazy. You made a movie called The Gut Movie, which was a story about poo and the future of medicine. I think <laughs> it's one of the very few uh, movies that can say that they're a story about poo. So I think you could win the Oscar for the you know, poo category this year. <laughs> <laughs> but I would take that. <laughs> I think you should. Sadly. Awesome, awesome stuff. Like it's it's such a, a great thing that you've done and what a great way to raise awareness about the importance of gut health and this is what our podcast is all about. Uh we'd love to know what what you did in this movie. Tell us the story and how the idea came to be. And uh, let's start with there and then we'll take on more questions, I think. How did you get this idea for the gut movie? I think it sort of came about um, when I was recording the Gut Healing Summit, which Joe was a part of. Mm-hmm. And we had sort of, um, I had discussed the gut and the microbiome with a bunch of different experts at this point. And I found that the more... I found out the more I realized that we still didn't know. So I thought, um, 
there's got to be a film in this. I think there's a story that needs to be told here to actually put things in perspective and to highlight some different categories of what's going on in the gut health arena. And me being a journalist and, you know, someone who's very interested in um, storytelling visually, I thought that a documentary would be really good. And I came across work by Dr. Jeff Leach, who's working with the Hudsa over in Tanzania, which are a hunter-gatherer tribe there. And he was looking at the diversity of their microbiomes. And I had, um, <clears throat> through a friend, actually met um, these old, the friend was a, an African tour guide and I approached him and I said, look, is there a, a tribe that we could actually go and work with who are still living traditionally, who have very little access to Western medicine? Uh, can we go and work with them? And at that point I didn't bring up the poo aspect, but <laughs> that, that was the sort of the beginnings, the seeds of the whole idea. So after about uh, a few months after that initial conversation, we had actually booked in this this Africa trip and lo and behold, it was going ahead. And I didn't really know what I was doing besides <laughs> besides the fact that we were going to Namibia and then things really opened up once we got there and it got pretty exciting and interesting. Wow. So it was sort of like as you went along, you figured it out. Definitely. That's, it's wow. sort of, you know, it's, you know, I think it's the only way you can go into something like that because you're going to the Namibian wilderness with a tribe that you can't actually speak with beforehand. So you can't plan anything, you know, and we didn't know which foods we were going to have access to. We didn't know whether they would say yes to act to us requesting their poo, you know. <laughs> there were all these, yeah, it was a massive gamble. So we had all these variables that we were playing with. And, uh, of course, I had some pretty incredible experts in the film who were able to really guide me and, and help me in terms of telling the story. And uh, in the end, all of it came together and we still really didn't know what we had until we actually uh, sat in the edit suite and really, um, hmm. really pieced the story together in a very collaborative way. And, yeah, it ended up with this film and, you know, it was essentially a discussion of the microbiome, not in a way that tells people this is what you should be eating because, you know, I sort of disagree with that. I wanted to empower people to make an informed decision about uh, the stuff they have on their plate every single day. So it was a really nice experience and to have such a successful response or a massive response to my first uh, feature-length mm. film uh, or independently created film was, was pretty exciting. And, yeah, I sort of still write, writing that wave now, I guess. Yeah. Um, so did they reject... Who could reject giving their poo to you, Kayla? Like, no one can. Really. Like, if you ask me, I'd give you as much of mine as you wanted. Like, <laughs> Thank you. So, so tell, tell us, I mean, such a fascinating thing um, to talk about that you actually went and lived with hunter-gatherer people and mm. saw how they lived and ate and behaved in their communities. Um, before we dig into the food aspects, can maybe can you share about a little bit of their ways that really struck you and you found them to be very different to the way that we live? I think the biggest thing was, which really struck me when we got there, was the pace. The pace was mm. completely different. They're very, very slow. They live very slow, not in a way that is lazy or unproductive. They're just very deliberate in everything they do. They sit and discuss things, you know, almost all day before it happens. Wow. Uh, so it's a very different uh, scenario than what I would normally, normally experience here in Australia when, you know, myself included, 
I'm quite often in a rush or I've got things to do and we're always trying to um, move around and, and achieve things all the time. So going there And steal people's poos, of course. And steal people's <laughs> poos, yes, of course. So, you know, that, that was the biggest thing that really struck me and there was a very connected community. It was a very tight community. It was only, there were only around 40 or 50 people. Wow. So... Um, It was a very, you know, tight knit and all the women and the men all had equal status and generally status and, and that sort of uh, correlated with age. And that was quite nice to see. And the elders of the, the group were very much a valued part of the whole society. So it was really beautiful to see all those mm -hmm. different things. Wow. Did you... Um Did, do you want to just explain a bit about what the film's about? Because there's probably people who haven't actually seen it and they're going, what in the world are they talking about when they say you went to get their poo? <laughs> <laughs> so they probably have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> probably. They're probably thinking I'm just this weird poo gatherer, but that's, you know, that's fine. <laughs> the, context, the context of the film is that I wanted to see how my own microbiome shifted in relation or in conjunction with shifting to a completely new environment. So how would my gut bacteria respond to me uh, getting up and leaving Australia and going out into the Namibian wilderness and living with this tribe? What would happen? And we also wanted to see what sort of bacteria that the sun had as well. So the sun of the tribe that we actually went and lived with. We wanted to see what their microbiomes look like. And we largely focused in the film on microbial diversity. So that's obviously just one indicator of microbiome health, but generally that's the one that's regarded as the most consistent measurement of health. You know, the more diverse your microbiome, the healthier you are, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. So we focused on that and uh, we actually found some massive changes in my own microbiome whilst I was there. So we were interact I was interacting with the environment. I wasn't showering. We were eating things straight out the ground. Um, we were very connected with nature. So we wanted to see how those different things had an impact on the on the gut and the and the gut bacteria. And then I guess throughout the film to sort of paint the picture a little bit more whilst I'm in Namibia, we actually bounce back to uh, predominantly Australia to see some incredible experts and what they're actually doing with the gut and the microbiome. For instance, we jump back to Professor Mimi Tang in, uh, at um, the MCRI, Murdoch Children's Research Institute, and she's doing some incredible work with peanut allergies using probiotic oral immunotherapy. And they were getting a, they got an 80% turnaround in a cohort of patients uh, or participants with their peanut allergies, like some incredible yeah. results. So we talked about that. We went back to wow. Professor Thomas Barodi, who was the man who really pioneered FMT <clears throat> or poo transplants. And we talked with him and he shared some stories about he had patients, you know, who had reversals of Parkinson's, of depression, of MS, these massive conditions. So it was a really um, nice way, I think, to bring together the whole story and use the Namibian experience as a bit of a medium upon which to base these Uh, different aspects of the gut and the microbiome. So in the end, we have, you know, this whole story thread going on and then we end up back in Australia to actually see what, what exactly happened with my gut microbiome and it was, it was pretty fascinating. I think um, it was really, can I just mention, yeah. I think it was really funny when you did 
approach them about the whole idea of taking some of their poo back to Australia. <laughs> you've got you've got to just talk about that for a sec. <laughs> it was it was a, it was sort of awkward. You know, it was quite a, it was quite an awkward experience because we were with this tribe and we we had developed this relationship with them over the week and it was quite a it's quite a nice relationship, you know, but you're not speaking each other's language. There's only one who could speak English and, yeah. and it was broken English at that. So you're sort of, you're still on the outskirts. So here I am, I've just been out all day in the veld, you know, in the wild gathering food. We gathered, you know, bush onions, bush potatoes, these different herbs for various conditions like poisons and all these things. And we brought them back to the fire and in the village, there's a, a wimp, a, female fire and a man's fire and uh every now and then they all come together with the same fire but generally they, they separate and the women chatter and have fun and laugh and then the men sort of sit a little bit more solemn and just you know discuss things it was quite funny to see anyway <clears throat> i was sitting with the females and it was our last night or, or one of the last nights and i said to dennis who was my africa tour guide i said look we've got to we've got to broach this poo topic we've got to ask them you know we, we need the poo i think it's going to be integral to the story and and the doco and i said to kane my camera operator i said look let's just record this whole process because i think it could be actually quite funny so <laughs> i was at the female fire and um dennis is going over to chat with one of the elders of the group and this is at night time so he's got more western style clothes on because you know that they're not so far out that they've never seen a Westerner. So they've got some different clothes on. And Dennis is talking to him and he's saying, um, look, here's what we need. <laughs> we need some of your poo to take home. We need some of your poo to take back to Australia. And immediately you could see this was a little bit weird and they were discussing it. And then you could see the, I was sitting over the, with the females and you could see the exact moment where the females realized what we had request and their faces just dropped <laughs> they just dropped they were mid-smile and they just turned into looks of shock all around the fire <laughs> so immediately the women just started yelling and screaming in a f very fun way and um, started laughing <clears throat> and they weren't interested in, in donating any of their poo <laughs> so we went over to the to the male fire and um, really we, we were <laughs> greeted with a somewhat bemused attitude of, really, do you want our poo? Uh, and then when we gradually explained what we were looking for, they sort of um, caught on and said, oh, is this because we, we drink water from the veld and that may have parasites in it or something like that? So they sort of knew why. Mm, but okay. then, of course, the next morning, was the actual harvesting, the collection of the poo, which, of course, I volunteered to do. So, we, you know, we had this situation where I was waiting in the village and we had three, <laughs> three willing son members who went out and did their business and then came back and got me and led me to their poo amongst these little um, trails and said, okay, it's all yours. So I would go along with my little smart DNA microbial kit and um, stick a little earbud in, in the business and actually put it in our little um, testing <laughs> tubes and, put, and do it up. So that whole experience we, we did record and it was, um, <laughs> it seems to be quite funny because yeah, every time we play it, the whole cinema tends to have quite a, quite a laugh. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm wondering with, um, with this way of living, first of all, how, how many days did you spend with them on that kid? We were with the sun about six, about six days, almost seven days. 
you mentioned that you would go out foraging for um, bush onions and things like that. Now, did they have like food stores at all or did they just go get their food fresh every day? So most of the food they have is actually fresh, but they, like I said before, they do, they are in a situation where they are actually trying to maintain their traditional way of living, but they're having a little bit of trouble with that because their hunting zones, their foraging zones are being restricted. And it's not for the reasons you might think. It's actually for tourism. They're trying to restrict their areas and they've actually already done it. They've kicked them out of areas which have now become national parks for, um, <clears throat> for you know, wildlife seeing. So you can't have, apparently, you can't have local tribesmen running around hunting uh, kudu in amongst a wildlife sanctuary because, you know, we've got a, a, a mix of poachers as well who are interested in doing that. So it's a very interesting situation in, in Africa right now, across the board, not just Namibia. And so these guys are actually are dealing with some food shortages at this point, so they don't have a lot of food. So what the government do is, and they're very poorly represented, the sun, uh, across the whole of Africa. You know, we have... Um, tribes like the Zulus and the Matabele who, who say that they are the traditional owners of Africa where they actually migrated from the north. The Bushmen have been there for thousands of years, um, <clears throat> potentially 65,000 years. So it's a, quite a, it's a massive situation and they're very poorly represented in government. And so the government actually, all they do is they come and deliver maize meal um, to the the bushman once every few months so they actually have to divvy that up and have that for the next sort of um yeah, few months not, so they do substitute nutritious. it's not it's very basic for those of you who don't know what maize meal is it's basically like a almost like a, a potato starch but it's a grain so it's it's you know quite a basic food and they boil that up into a sort of mashed potato looking dish called pup and they'll have that as a substitute to their wild foraging stuff but the majority of their food is indeed um hunting and gathering which is why we we went with them that was a sort of best option that we could we mm. could we could get get so it was um yeah that was the sort of the sort of thing that we got from them is that they were struggling a little bit to maintain their their lifestyle in a way that was sustainable because their land is being so restricted and, of course, because they're not allowed to hunt giraffe anymore. They're not allowed to hunt wildebeest because these are animals which are almost revered now but by, by Westerners. So it's this very odd situation that's going on. And, and again, like I said, the Bushmen have had an incredibly tough last four or 500 years um, to the point where it makes the, it, you know, akin to the Indigenous Australians here. It's a, it's a very right. big issue and uh, not many people are talking about it. So it would be really nice to see uh, the Bushmen's or the Sun people's lifestyle uh, continue and mm. hopefully with the film we were able to sort of add a little bit of weight to that momentum that they're gathering. Yeah. You, um, how many people did you test from the Sun in terms of the, the microbiome? We were able to gather three poo samples, so not a huge, <laughs> not a huge study, but more of a um, no, just a, a little excerpt, yeah, of yeah, sample. But um, yeah. did they uh, match up uh, closely in terms of the results? I noticed was, there was one that was a little yeah. different. Was that mm. the guy that was speaking English? I wondered if he was more. 
I would actually, I'd need to actually go and have a look at the data quite um, so closely to work out that. At the time, thinking, I wonder if he's more in the, you know, Western culture a little more and eating more of our food. It could be. I mean, the closest town to the Bushmen, and by or by this particular Sun Tribe, uh, the closest town was about twenty-three kilometres away. So they don't have any cars or anything like that. Okay. Uh, but this particular town as well is three or four buildings. <laughs> you know, no, uh, no Wi-Fi, no internet. And no. then the closest, I suppose, uh, real town, if you will, is probably eight hours drive away. Mm-hmm. So they're very, very remote. But yeah. it was interesting to see in that one town with the four or five houses in it, um, two or three of those were selling soft drink, were selling mm-hmm. alcohol, you know, all these Western yeah. foods. They, they had managed to, to reach these far-gone areas. So mm-hmm. inevitably when you are only 23 kilometres away, there is going to be a, an access to those foods um, mm. at some point in time. But the reality is they're having them very rarely. So and potentially, how, yeah. How would, they make, how would they make money to buy food? So this um, particular group that we went and worked with is a, more of a um, tourism experience. So right. the idea is, is it's okay. a foundation uh, through which they sort of take in tourists or, or filmmakers like us and mm-hmm. you sort of pay for the experience to actually help them uh, yeah. continue to live the way they do. Uh, right. Because if they were living completely traditionally, they wouldn't be in one spot for more than, uh, you know, I don't know, yeah. a couple of weeks. They're, they're very nomadic. Mm. So this is they've sort of had to adapt and create their own area or adapt, or um, host their own area now and sort mm. of keep that uh, and, and monetize it in a way or make it at least self-sustainable so that the government don't say, look, you guys are just floating here. Uh, we're going to come in and we're going to turn this into a wildlife reserve so we can get more tourists coming in to see the wildlife. So it's a, like I said, it's a pretty complex situation. And in yeah. terms of the microbiomes up on the screen, and there was one microbiome uh, signature from one of the Bushmen who was significantly less diverse than uh, the rest of the Bushmen, but also he was more diverse than the average Australian. Yes. Uh, that, that could be explained by a variety of different things. You know, maybe he just had a, an infection recently, maybe... Um, he did go. He did get his hands on some Fanta or Coke or whatever, <laughs> unfortunately. But it was good to actually acknowledge that and not yeah. not Hide sort that. of paint this picture as yeah, if that's right. these guys just because they have very diverse microbiomes, just because they have very different microbiomes to us, doesn't mean that they have the perfect microbiome. You know, and this is the whole theme of the film: is that the microbiome and the different signatures that we all have are unique to our own situations and ideally they adapt to our own situations and we still don't know what the optimal microbiome looks like. That's still a long way away. So, you know, it was nice to discuss these things and, and see it come up on screen and have people interested in it. <laughs> I'm thinking about um, a tribe that's living like that, hunter-gatherers, but they obviously have access to probably some Western medicine. If they need it, they go like to get a cut or infection. Would they be able to access Western medicine for that kind of stuff? No, no, no probably not. No. Okay. But um, what did you notice in terms of chronic illness in, in the tribe? So let's talk about things like diabetes, heart disease, uh, things like even depression, anxiety. Was there talk of that or anything that was noticed or what did you, what did you see? 
No. So they don't even have a word for cancer, which was, which wow. was quite interesting. That was, that was interesting to hear. And mm-hmm. of course, it's very hard to assess their health biologically because of that very little access to Western medicine. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things you can only, you can only really observe it from, you know, an outsider's perspective or from a visual point of view. And what I did notice is that the majority of them, probably 90% of them were very lean, very lean and looked to be very healthy in terms of, you know, some of the 80 year olds who were with the tribe were actually, one of them was leading our hunt, our hunting expedition for the whole day, you know, not drinking, didn't drink water, I didn't see him drink water all day and he's just hunting and, and tracking this kudu all day. Yeah. It was insane to see. And to see that I think is huge to see the, the health quality, the health span of, of these particular people is, is huge in terms of living to a really long age. We didn't see any uh, of the tribe who we thought were centenarians or anything like that. You know, I don't think it's considered a blue zone, but I would love to emphasize that these guys had a very high quality of life. They were, had a very um, mobile, extremely mobile. And again, you could see abs on a lot of them. They were quite shredded, <laughs> you know, which is, you know, you sort of look at it and go, what's going on there? They're just, they're not eating that much. They're not drinking that much water and yet they look so healthy. So I, I dare say that um, they had very little incidence of diabetes, um, metabolic syndrome, and certainly we, we did not see any and had never and had discussed their very low incidence of things like uh, depression, anxiety. They really don't have words for these things because everybody is everybody maintains a significant part of the community for their whole life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important in addressing this sort of discussion around depression and anxiety when we in the West yeah. live so individually now. I was just thinking the same thing. It's it's what you see so many times in communities where they're very connected there isn't the incidence of anxiety and depression as much no because they feel so safe and secure yeah and they're having fires every night and and talking and communicating and they they all contribute they all contribute to the ongoing survival and thrival if that's a word of the (laughs) um i'll just make it up um of the of the tribe so, you know, it's, yeah. it would be very hard for them to actually feel depressed because they've always got something to do. They're, they're always in need. So, um, yeah, that was really nice to see and it does, it creates a massive, uh, a massive uh, gap between what we do here and mm. what they do there. But, again, it's all up for discussion as to whether that gap is a positive thing or, or the differences are a, uh, a good thing or a bad thing. I think mm. over here in the West we have, many incredible aspects of society, you know, technology being one of them and certain aspects of healthcare being the other. Mm. But in terms of community, in terms of quality, a health span, I think, you know, the Bushmen are really doing it well. And, Mm. and again, it was, it was such a pleasure to go and see that. And I hope, I hope that it uh, can last and I hope that it stays there for, for the next, you know, 200 years. Um, the bacteria that we were talking about here in the gut that you went and measured and you looked at the biodiversity of that, how did it look like in contrast with uh, kale brock coming from Western civilization? What, what, what did you see? Is this something that you don't want to give away? And what people want to- <laughs> 
for or happy <laughs> to talk about that? No, I'd love to talk about it. This, this was quite interesting in that when I went to see Dr. Margie Smith, who's a molecular geneticist at Smart DNA, I went to her and I was kind of, I was the gut guy. You know, I'm the gut guy. I've talked about gut, I've done all this, done all that. And we had my microbiome tested and she said, your diversity is really low. She said, what's yeah, going on? You're, we're looking at your diversity, which is a, an indicator of microbiome health, and it's really low. So we're trying to work out what's going on. And granted, um, I, I, and we sort of pinned it down. I had a lot of antibiotics when I was younger. I do a mm. lot of travel, which we know impacts the microbiome. So there are a myriad of reasons why that may have been the case. But whatever the case was, whatever the reason, Sorry, I just lost you there. Whatever the reason was, we, um, you know, we found out that I had this low diversity. So, so what's going on? So that was quite shocking to see. But after the trip in Namibia, we found that I – so if you can picture for me a, um, a chart, almost like a, a plot graph. I don't even know what the, the right word is. But um, mm-hmm. we've got a plot graph and then we've got to the left side of that graph, we've got a, a low range of diversity. To the right hand side of that graph, we've got a high range of diversity. When we tested the Bushmen, they were coming up at, on the right side. So in the high area and the lowest one was sort of in the, in the mid to high range. I was over in the low range. So scattered in amongst the, the high density of, of the average Australians with their low mm-hmm. microbial diversity. So when I went over there after a week of living with the sun, we tested my microbiome and we brought that sample back. We found that I had actually shifted into a high range of diversity only after five days of yeah, living with the amazing. sun, you know, which is huge. That fascinated is, me. Oh, yeah. I can't believe how quickly it changes. And this is one of the biggest things probably coming out of this film when I've been talking with practitioners. They've been saying, look, previously we sort of had told people that it can take, or well, it still can, but it has to take at least eight weeks before you shift your gut bacteria. Wow. But I'm showing that this is actually happening on a day-to-day basis. Margie Smith said your bacteria yeah. microbiome can shift rapidly and significantly within 24 hours, 24 to 48 hours. Yeah. So it sort of throws into perspective this whole um, conversation about the gut and the microbiome when we have such a rapidly adaptive organism or group of organisms living inside of us, all of a sudden the, I think the power is with us because that's going to adapt to how we live, what we eat, what we think, how we move very, very quickly and you would presume that it's going to adapt in a positive manner. So that also means that when we change our diet from one that's not so good to one that is good, we know that very quickly that has a positive impact on the gut microbiome. Yeah. And we also know that when you, when you have a good gut microbiome, that's going to have a further impact on the immune system, the neurological system, and the metabolic system. So I think it's an incredibly empowering notion to actually realize that, hey, we have the power to change our gut microbiome very quickly. And I don't think you just have to go to the sun in Namibia to do it. I I honestly think that there are some really good ways that you can actually do it here back in Australia or back in the United States or in the West, if you will. Mm. Um, And that's really, again, what I hope that people are discussing after they watch the film. Well, this is one of the, my next question for you was uh, actually twofold. One was, did you feel better after spending that time with the sun? And then two, 
what kind of changes have you implemented to continue to have this thriving microbi- microbiome or maybe even give it more Australian-specific bacteria or something like that? Mm. Yeah, and that's important. So the, the first uh, question was what changes did I notice? So the biggest one for me was actually emotionally being there. I think it's very hard to be stressed or upset when you're out in nature like that with yeah. such a happy tribe and community around you all day. Um, it was really cool to actually just soak it all up. You know, we're sleeping in tents, we're, we're out camping, you know, on this sort of, it was almost like a, like a boy's trip. You know, it's me, my camera <laughs> operator, my um, tour guide, and then the, the sun people. So it was this it was beautiful experience. It was a very happy overall uh, experience. So I think that was the biggest thing that I noticed. And, of course, in terms of the gut and the microbiome, you know, we're going to get personal here, the bowel movements are all very good because you're having a, an extremely high-fibre diet. You're having all these mm. bush potatoes, bush onions, things from the wild, and you're not actually eating that much. So you feel like you're cleansing in a way. And um, those are the biggest things. I sort of noticed. Other than that, you know, we're all a little bit jet lagged. We've just driven for three days to get to this this tribe in the Namibian wilderness. So there's there are gonna be things which are actually having an impact on us. So we're not feeling a hundred percent the whole time. But we certainly notice these changes as we live with the tribe. In terms of um coming back here to Australia and implementing what I really took away personally from the whole experience was the importance of interacting with your local ecology. And I had a big discussion last night. We had, um, another, we had another sold-out screening in Monavale last night in, in, in Sydney and uh, we did a and a afterwards and I had John Elliman, who's a microbiologist in the film. He was there and we, we had this uh, almost like a debate on stage. It wasn't a debate, it was a discussion. <laughs> and John was sort of saying um, from his microbiology point of view, which is you know much more qualified than I am and um, it brings, I think, a different skill set to the whole thing, he was saying when you are born, you're, you're given a certain set of microbes and that set of microbes becomes your default microbiome. And for good or bad, that's your host, that's your native set that your body will accept as being um, natural and and important and permanent. So anything else that comes in, he's suggesting may be uh, treated as an invader and will be kicked out. So I was sort of of the, of the opinion, I thought, but if we look at the fact that the microbiome adapts and shifts so rapidly, it would suggest that we actually have a, a huge variety of bacteria and microbes living in us all the time, but the density of those populations change very rapidly. So we're not exactly losing populations we're actually shifting their numbers within the um, gastrointestinal mm. tract and dr margie was sort of saying how when you expand one population another decreases so it's this mm. wonderful balance of of shifting um populations of microbiota and i think that where i was going with that is that when we interact with our local ecology i think we encourage the bacteria uh, which help us thrive in that environment to prosper within our gastrointestinal tract. And we see this with the Japanese, for instance. We see when they eat lots of seaweed, they have lots of bacteria which help them digest that seaweed. We see in local Amazon tribes who uh, eat lots of starches, they have particular bugs, even parasites, which help them digest all those starches. And I think that would change if you brought those populations into Australia, for instance, or 
let's bring it back to me, if I came back from Africa, I would probably lose a lot of those African microbes, but I would pick up and encourage to grow all my Australian microbes. So going out now for me, going out surfing, and and immersing myself in the ocean, for instance, which is essentially a bed of bacteria, very similar to our own, um, and and even going as far as eating some seaweed and harvesting some seaweed, and doing my own version of hunting, so some fishing, uh, doing all those things, and really living a little bit dirty so I can live clean, I think is a really powerful way to encourage the microbiome. Going beyond, of course, just looking at a whole foods diet. Of course, when we we know that, um, and this is through Dr. Margie Smith doing her incredible research, she said when you you eat a whole foods diet, your microbiome will start to prosper. We know that. So when you um, eat something that's similar to a Mediterranean diet, your microbiome starts to to prosper. And of course, there are always going to be caveats and people that need some healing and all that sort of stuff. But that's generally the rule. Stay away from processed foods and you encourage the microbiome to diversify. But I think, again, the biggest thing that I took away was my daily actions away from food. If I'm, you know, eating the best diet ever, but I'm living indoors, never seeing fresh air, never seeing sunshine, um, under artificial light, artificial air, uh, not picking up bacteria, not touching the soil or the sand or the ocean, then my microbiome is going to be very different. And I would say that my microbiome is not going to be as healthy as it is doing those other things. That's a really good point. Yes. Thank you. Kel, fascinating story. Really, really love hearing all about it. I don't want to get into far more detail because I don't want to give the whole movie away and I want people to watch it. <laughs> can you give us an idea of where people can watch the movie and uh, is it going to be available online at some point? What, what are you saying? Yeah, I mean, we have... Uh Recently, the film's picked up a lot of momentum internationally on Vimeo. So we've got it on Vimeo on demand. And we are sort of this year, I say we, but it's just me, isn't it? (laughs) This year. That's the the role, isn't it, in business? Never refer to me as as or we as me. I don't know. Um, So this year I've I've had a lot of exciting meetings, really exciting meetings already about the future of the film and the future of my career. But it's all at the moment up in the air. So it's a little bit of a, not a stressful time, but it's a little bit of a reflective time. So hopefully the film is going to go and be distributed really well internationally and reach a massive audience. But for now we've got on Vimeo and get on Netflix. That's the goal of course (laughs) to to get on Netflix. But here in Australia we are doing our screenings. So we just teamed up with uh, Fan Force as well. So we did our initial tour. We did 13 sold out shows, which is great. We're doing another um, eight or nine at the start of this year. And then we've just teamed up with Fan Force as well because uh, we had a lot of people in places like Tasmania or uh, Brisbane again want to do another one and Canberra want to do another one. So this opens up for independent hosts to actually um, host a screening of the gut movie. Um, so we've, we've started to do that as well. So there, there are a, a variety of options to see the film and I guarantee that everyone's going to have their chance to see it. Uh, I just don't know how that's going to look at the moment. But uh, indeed, you can find it all on the gut, uh, thegutmovie.com. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. Jodie, do you have any further questions for Gail before we go? Or? Yeah, one, one more question. Yes. How do you keep your microbiome healthy while traveling? Because you said that affects Uh, it. (laughs) It's a tricky one. And, you know, every time 
I do a significant amount of traveling, I find my health declines. This yes. is the thing. It's just one of those prices that I've sort of gone, I'm going to have to pay for doing all this yeah. traveling. And it's another reason yeah. why I'm trying to reduce the amount of traveling yeah. that I'm doing. Um, but so my sort of protocol, um, I'll tell you my whole protocol because it's not just gut health related. I'll generally take some high potency antioxidants with me because when you travel, you're exposed to a lot of radiation in the airport mm. from all the Wi-Fi and screens everywhere. And of course, when you're up in a plane and you're very close to the sun or you're a lot closer to the sun, you, you mm. do get blasted with a lot of radiation. So I try and take some really high potency antioxidants while I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, those are also very good for the gut lining as well, reducing inflammation in the mm. gut lining. And um, I also take probiotics with me. So after every plane ride, I'll take probiotics okay. because I want to replenish my gut bacteria um, after, again, dealing with all that sort of radiation. Next best thing as well <laughs> is, is tr trying to plan what you're going to eat and when you're going to eat because especially it's it's hard if you're very busy traveling mm -hmm. it's hard it's hard it's so hard oh, yeah. to to stick to your health goals and you and I have talked about this mm. i go to grilled grilled is one of my go-tos when i'm on the road and i know it's mm -hmm. not the best place i yeah. just go to grilled healthy burgers cuz i know that i can get some sweet potato chips i can get a gluten-free yeah. um, burger and it you know it's grass-fed meat and you know yeah. that that's sort of i have my go-tos and yeah. a lot of the time I'll skip meals because it's just I'm too busy and all those. Yep, know what that's like. <laughs> I, was in, uh, I, was I think it really comes down to doing the best you can in those circumstances. Yeah. We lost you a little tiny bit. Are you there? Oh, I think I lost you guys for a second. Yeah, we, just for a sec. What were I'm you going to say for what? <laughs> I, I was saying I was in Canberra traveling oh, good. and I got uh, grilled burgers as well. I just got, <laughs> yeah, so but the, the the one with the low carb bun or whatever it is. Yeah. Also. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, you guys travel a lot. I'd love to yeah. hear what do you guys do when you're on the road to to look after yourselves and and eat well. Um, panic. We panic a lot on the road. No, we don't. <laughs> well, don't forget what we are doing, cooking demonstrations so we can eat our own food ah, after the, after the um, demonstrations. Yeah. But we also have, um, we try to have one, oh, we usually have two good meals out, don't we, each day? Yeah, we, uh, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. Like Joe never travels without, you know, a bag that is completely dedicated. <laughs> That's one thing. Uh, it feels like I've arrived in like, you know, my all the sisters sort of looking after me. When I'm yeah, for one's like, don't forget the macadamias. Don't yeah, forget so <laughs> What are you bringing me? I, I bring nothing. I spring an appetite and then Joe brings <laughs> I'm like the mum. Yeah. We have such a beautiful community. We quite often like people will we do. offer people something for us. And ah, yeah. Isn't that nice to have like yeah. different homes on the road? I have found that really such is. a beautiful thing. We've had that a lot and we've got certain ones that we know we can always go to. They will always feed us. Yeah, but even, wow, finding, so nice. even finding a good, um, a good restaurant where you can just get a good meat and veggies meal, we often do that like a mid -af late afternoon because then we have mm -hmm. the seminar after that and then we just don't have dinner after the seminar. Yeah, so you do a little bit of fasting. You get yeah. like a good fasting time in. That's yeah. nice too. 
Yeah. Quite often after a seminar, you don't have the appetite anyway, and you just yeah. too late. Yeah, too late. Yeah. How do you guys? I'd love to ask as well, just to <laughs> just to get a lot out of these. I'd love to ask how you switch off after a seminar because I know after a screening, I'm buzzing. I'm so buzzing. Yeah. It's very hard for me to actually go to bed and relax and get to sleep. What do you guys do? Hmm. So do you want to give your? Well, we usually chat and sort of do a di- bit of a debrief. Debrief. Um, and then we maybe have a cuppa, and then we usually have it, aren't we? We usually just all go yeah. to bed. <laughs> I found that was like in the early days, I used to be buzzing all the time. You did, yeah. You I, did. You know, I really, that energy of a big room, you know, three, four hundred people, and everyone's coming yeah. to yeah. you and all that, that was quite big. But then over time, it just became for me like um, really much simpler. So the experience, because I got used to it I'd be on stage used to it, yeah. yeah so that was so I'd go off stage and I feel like I almost haven't been in front of three four hundred people and then you talk to each person and each person I talk to them sort of individually and, yeah and I'm focused on them and it just doesn't feel yeah it doesn't feel that big anymore I find, but, yeah. yeah I think we sort of come down slowly that's what it is because yeah. we're talking to people until every last person has gone yeah, I know you do that as yeah. well Kale. Yeah, I do try. <laughs> yeah. um, but then by the time everyone's gone and we've cleaned up, then we're starting to get tired. So we're ready to just go and go yeah. to sleep. <laughs> do you find that I've found that another thing coming back from doing the tour specifically is that I've become a lot more recluse. <laughs> so yes. I spend oh, a lot more time alone now. Oh, yeah. definitely. People comment on that with me at home here in the Tablelands. They say, how come you never do anything at home? Yeah. How come you you do everything out in the cities? I'm like, because when I come home, it's like this is my this is my quiet time. This yeah. is the time to just disappear and hide. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I completely empathise. It's great. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> one, of, one of those things where in the beginning I used to have withdrawals from those experiences. Like you go out yeah. and have these sort of, big events and you have so much you know joy and, and happy so much fun, and, fun. <laughs> and then you come home and you'd be like oh this is <laughs> like i'm behind a keyboard again you have to, <laughs> yeah. you have to work <laughs> yeah and yeah sort of was a bit of a slap in the face but now i know sort of there's a, there is an adjustment period like i do take it one or two days afterwards where yeah, we sort of have to wind down wind and down. relax and yeah. sleep. Yeah. Oh, that's good. A couple of days. No, I'm not alone. Yeah. yeah. The travelling life, hey? Yeah, the travelling life. But, you know, you get what you ask for. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I wouldn't change yeah. it for anything. Yeah. <laughs> doing good work. Doing good, good work, helping yeah. people out and, uh, giving, you know, raising awareness on a very important topic. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't. Who knows what's next? I mean, that's yeah. everyone's been sort of asking me, like, "What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now?" And I've got so many options. I'm a little bit overwhelmed with with what to do. And you know, I think there's another another book coming. And um, yeah. but I just I don't know when to write it. <laughs> you know, it's just it's one of those things where it's just. I think you need a bit of reflection time and to just pace yourself and, and not feel I like you're you in a rush. You need a bit of a break and and don't yeah don't rush it. I know for me with between the two books there was like three and a half or three years. The only yeah. reason it got done so quickly is because Fuad helped me. <laughs> yeah, 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 I mean it's such it's a beautiful like book. Kind of process where um, people now expect 
someone to churn out content every year mm. or something like that, some book or big project, and I don't think mm. that's fair. That's a lot of stress. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, you know, first of all, you have to uh, allow the first project to really mature and to give it mm. all the justice that it deserves. Like you've got this amazing movie and there's so much potential for it going all around that's the right. world doing stuff with it that if you start kicking off your next project now, then it might you might not give the first project mm the attention that it needs because so much work's gone into it like you guys you know to the end and um that kind of there's always this fear of missing out that you know if you don't do your yeah i don't think that's right i think you're a very well established voice in this community and that um whenever you you can produce new content people will be attentive and you'll be able to reach them so it's best to sort of let as you are doing let things settle in ease into the next project when the time is right and move on from there. Mm. You know, it's just the best way to do it. And you're doing a really good job of it. And, you know, we've often talked offline, you and, you and me and I've told you how proud I am of your work and <laughs> to see someone who's doing such high quality work in an area that needs so much light sh- shining in it. And mm. you're doing that. And I've, um, yeah, I've got so much respect for your work and what you do. And I think you're doing it right so don't rush into ah, thank the project. You. yeah before you before you yeah. feel that it's it's the right step for you just, thank you yeah. oh this has been a great therapy session as well is not it <laughs> <laughs> i find podcasts are very therapeutic sometimes yeah they should be yeah <laughs> oh, that's good well i really enjoyed the film and if anyone out there hasn't seen it yet go and find it go and watch it where can you tell them where to go to find it yeah, I mean, thegutmovie.com is probably the best resource. And then okay. it's just, I suppose, me on social media. I'm always sort of updating, which is um, at Kale's Broccoli, at Kale's Broccoli on social media. <laughs> and, yes, Kale is his real name. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> you mentioned it's on Vimeo now, the full-length movie, is that right? Yeah, the full-length movie outside of Australia and New Zealand, it's oh. on Vimeo. For those inside Australia and New Zealand, it's just the tour at the moment and then we're, we're working on it. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think if you go I to the tour, you can, after buy, the show. you can it's buy a much, at the tour. Yeah, just at the yeah. events. It's much yeah. more, it's quite nice to have a room full of people uh, all there for the same reason and all oh, there definitely. getting excited about the microbiome. I think it's much more powerful in terms of affecting change than it is to just get people watching on their computer screens I because totally people realise, yeah, they're not alone. There's a yeah. whole bunch of people who are on the same page and there's a there's a movement coming and I think that's really how we can generate change is, is educating communities in this sort of um, wonderful group setting. And then you also have the discussion time and question and answer at the end, which is extra value. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You should get everyone to hug and kiss after the event so that you can share microbes. <laughs> but if you'd like to drop your poo sample off, you yeah. can pop it off in this box. <laughs> oh, <that's> very funny. <laughs> no, maybe not that. <laughs> well, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. It's good to chat to you again. Always and good to chat. If you're up in far north Queensland again, let me know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm actually off to Europe. I need to speak to Fuad wow. soon. I'm off to Europe for about three months this year. So. Oh, oh. wow, that's exciting. I know, here I'm talking about reducing travel and I'm off to Europe. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's one it bit, one bit right. Right. And then over there. It's just all <laughs> yeah. cars and short trips and things like that. Great. Oh, that's awesome. 
you've got a unique life you should yeah live it to the max man enjoy it that's it yeah. enjoy it very lucky <laughs> that's right yeah thanks Gail we'll chat to you soon thanks guys thank you so much it was awesome This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.